Welcome, everyone, to our NCAA social series dealing with COVID-19. I'm Andy Katz. Pleased to be joined by Dr. Brian Hainline, as I am every week here, our chief medical officer from the NCAA. Dr. Amish Adalja, who is from Johns Hopkins, the Center for Global Security, and Isaiah Swan, a Division III baseball player from Texas, Dallas. Um, Dr. Hainline, I actually want to start with you this week. Uh, and you were on an important call with the White House about how we get sports back, uh, both at the professional level and at the collegiate level. What did you learn? Well, we learned that one of the important aspects of getting sport back is, is it really is focused not just on a national effort, but very much at a state and regional effort. So you want to make certain that you're in an area where the infection rate is going down I mean, broadly speaking, that you're meeting the gating criteria that 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 level of society is really ready to reemerge, to to re-socialize, if you will. The other thing is, is that it's really going to be dependent on having certain infrastructure in place, especially including testing. One thing that we call point of care testing, where we can get test results back more rapidly, because once you're talking about engaging with athletes and then you have, say, a baseball team like for Isaiah or uh, football team, basketball team, the athletes are really close to one another. And so once you've started to re-socialize and more and more the players are engaging, you have to be able to understand who's infected, who's not, how you follow them. And so the testing is a very important part of how we re-engage. Yeah, Dr. Adalja, we have seen so many university presidents go on record and say that they intend to plan to have students on campus, various hybrid models, where some classes could be online, some in person, uh, dining hall, hall or ways that they handle that, dormitories, spreading everyone out. So all these are positive in terms of social distancing. But to play sports, you can't social distance. So how do we cross that threshold from the social distancing that's being discussed on getting students back on campus to actually competing and practicing on the field of play? It's the same principles that apply to social distancing on a campus that are going to have to apply to some degree in a modified form to sports teams. And I, I do think that there are ways to make sports safer, just like Dr. Heinlein said about having testing available, point of care testing, having ways of modifying practice in order to uh, allow individuals to practice some, some degree of social distancing. But it's also important to remember that there is no, it's not going to be completely risk-free. There's always going to be this virus around. And what we're going to have to do is try and modify our, our operations when we're talking about sports in a way that makes it safe for athletes. And I do think this is possible if we meet the gating criteria and if we're in a, a better place with this virus as the, the pandemic uh, pursue, as it per, uh, proceeds. So Isaiah, you're at that ground level. You're an athlete. Um, you hear all this chatter, as I'm saying, about you know the way we need to get students back on campus, that it's a different level to actually and competing regardless of sport, what do you think needs to happen so that athletes feel comfortable when they're back on campus? Absolutely. Um, like you said, I'm, I'm in Georgia currently, um, and I have a bunch of friends here who are in collegiate athletics uh, in Georgia and, you know, around the country. Um, you know, I've been putting out feelers for the past couple of weeks and trying to see what everybody, everybody thinks about this whole thing, and especially about uh, Georgia now, uh, saying that, you know, we're going to start phasing into reopening and things like that. And I was actually surprised uh, to hear back from a lot of student athletes that a lot of them are, are really more concerned 
you know, for their families and, and, and the rest of the community with, with reopening too soon. Um, you know, I, I expected that a lot of student athletes would be very excited to be able to return to sport um, so soon. Um, and certainly some of them are. But I think, you know, there are, you know, for the most part, most student athletes are more concerned with, you know, are we doing this too quickly? Is it actually going to be, you know, safe for us? So I think the comfort level right now is, is really, you know, kind of iffy. All right. So let's speed ahead, though, when we get to the late summer and fall, where we don't know what things are going to be. We don't know where testing and tracing will be at that point. But to be able to be tested and then the tracing aspect of that, how comfortable do you think student athletes will be dealing with the regular testing uh, apparatus, if you will, that could occur in the fall and winter? Absolutely. Um, you know, I think as student athletes, we are we're very comfortable with adapting to change. So I think that, you know, whatever needs to happen in order for us to play, we will make it happen. Um, and, and, you know, that, that's kind of that. Um, I think that, you know, student athletes are, are probably, you know, pretty uncomfortable with the idea of um, all this change that we're seeing. Right. But, you know, testing would make it a lot easier for, for us to return to sport. Um, and so I think they would be all for that. Absolutely. So Dr. Adalja and Dr. Hayline, if you can on the back end, what would that testing and tracing look like uh, once student athletes get back on campus, hopefully late summer, early fall? So there's various different ways that you can think about this, but what we want to be able to do is find patients that are infected or find individuals that are infected, whether they're students or whether they're individuals in the community. And in order to do that, we have to have access to rapid tests that can give you a result that's actionable very quickly so that you can minimize exposure to others. You can isolate those individuals and do contact tracing. That may mean that for sports, there may be a time where we actually screen uh, athletes, and it's going to, I think, be different for different types of sports, where you may screen them regularly to see if they're positive or negative. You may do antibody testing to see who's been exposed and, and maybe has some degree of immunity, and then use that to try and facilitate your your practices and your and and your games. And I think it's there. There is some room to to kind of improvise here and try and come up with innovative ways that work the best. And I think this there's not really a black or white answer to this. It's very gray right now because we don't really have all of the, the testing data at our hands right now. But that's really what we want to do is allow people to play by using the tests in the most appropriate manner. Dr. Hayes? Yeah, and to follow up on that, so so yesterday's meeting um, with, the, with the White House, with, with the office of Dr. Burke, so it was the chief medical officers of, of sports. So I was representing amateur sports, the NCAA, but there were also the chief medical officers of the NFL, Major League Baseball, the NHL, and so on. And, and testing was a key component of, of everything we discussed. And and what the White House laid out and with regard to the serological testing that Dr. Ardalja mentioned, so you know, we'll know maybe in three or four weeks the real validation of what that means, especially if it confers an immunity status. And, and right now the White House was suggesting we may be doing one serological test, repeating it a month later to try to understand where, really where we are. And then the point of care are rapid diagnostic testing. So there's a commitment, yes, by, by the White House, we're gonna continue this public-private uh, partnership and we're going to continue to build the infrastructure and and it really is also going to be at the school level that they develop a relationship with a with a vendor or with a lab with a research facility where they can really make certain that these testing facilities are 
are ramped up. So it is going to take an initiative at the local level as well. And then the protocols are, are going to have to be worked out. So if, if someone on a football team tests positive, so what do we do for the other players? Are we then going to test that player daily? And, and, and what does that protocol look like? If, if I've been exposed, if I test negative today, it doesn't mean that I won't test positive tomorrow. So there's a there's a lot to, to figure out. And, and I think you're going to see sort of a bi-directional response here from the White House really guiding us, but also from the chief medical officers of sport and, and others really provide, providing creative solutions so we can all work through this together. So Dr. Adalja, um, to that point that Dr. Hainlein uh, brought up, how much could this end up being haves and have-nots that certain universities you know, might have the uh, capabilities, the financial wherewithal to make sure they have enough testing uh, on this mass basis for their student athletes and their student body. And maybe other universities wouldn't be able to do that, especially if they have to rely on their community that might already be yeah, so this is kind of a, a mirror image of what's going on nationally as well, because we have certain states and certain areas that have access to testing. I'm sitting here in Pittsburgh right now, and we have a pretty robust testing system here, but there are other parts of the country that don't. And this is going to be a major challenge to make this kind of a, uh, an equal type of distribution of tests. And that's going to be an important question that needs to be addressed to have equal distribution of tests so that all universities are competing kind of on the same playing field when it comes to tests as well as on the in, in sports. And this is something that can only be solved by increasing production of those tests, making them as easy to use and, and as distributed as wide as possible. But I think it will be a real challenge when there may be universities that don't have the budget to do this. And there's going to have to be a discussion about solutions for that. Isaiah, student athletes, could ultimately end up being tested more than the student body because they're going to come into contact with each other more often. How amenable do you think student athletes would be to that if, if the students are tested on whatever regular basis they are on campus and they're keeping social distancing, but then it's hyper-intensive to student athletes because they're coming into contact with each other in proximity and then other teams that they would be playing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, you know, like I said before, uh, student athletes, you know, we are willing to do whatever it takes to get back on the field, uh, court, wherever. Right. Um, I think that, you know, if this is what's necessary, then to, you know, to keep everybody safe and allow us to, to return to sport, then I think that, you know, everybody's going to be comfortable with doing that. So, Dr. Adalja, obviously, all of us are tracking, you know, every morsel of news on either a vaccine or a treatment. Uh, as maybe a first offense, if there's at least a treatment, and there's a lot of chatter about that. Dr. Fauci has talked about the treatment aspect, not the cure, but the treatment before the vaccine. How much could that change before we get to the fall, if there's at least you know, something that could help in the treatment uh, of COVID patients to at least tamp down if someone does test positive, uh, to not have to shut everything down again, or, or team or sport? Sure. So the treatments are not miracle pills. They're not the equivalent of a pill that you give everybody that has an infection and that it prevents them from being hospitalized. The treatments we're talking about now, and one of them just had some really good results today, uh, is something that you give to hospitalized patients by giving them through an, an intravenous line. And that may decrease their mortality rate. It may decrease their need for a ventilator. And that may help with hospitals in terms of the crowding of hospitals. Because remember, most of the social distancing is being done to keep our cases from occurring at such a rate that they inundate hospitals. That's the real measure that we're looking at here. And if you have a drug that can get people out of the hospital faster, that could 
be a real boon to hospitals, and that may change the risk perception and how we go forward with this. So that may help us make social distancing decisions if we're not so much worried about hospitals anymore because there is a treatment that's going to get people out of the hospital faster. And then that will make the general public's perception of risk and, and what they think about this virus change. And that can help us work through this whole issue that we're going to have with this virus being present until we have a vaccine. If we were to have, to have a pill, for example, that you could give people that prevented them from getting hospitalized, that's a whole different story, but we're not quite there yet. But we do have a promising news about virus, antivirals that can be used in hospitalized patients that could uh, change the game a little bit. So Dr. Hainline, another term that we're getting used to hearing is herd immunity. Um, at the athletic level, how much potential herd immunity could be going on as more athletes are next to each other, playing other teams, where there is exposure to each other, and maybe there was to someone who had it, and if the players don't show any symptoms, could that help in the at the athletic level a version of herd immunity? Yeah, it potentially could help a lot, Andy. And so, you know, we're we're just starting to understand this as as, as we really find out what the validity of the serological testing is. But in New York City, where I am, and and when they when they sampled 3,000 individuals, and you know, close to 20% of individuals had been exposed, you know, that changes things significantly. That means, well, rather than 150,000 cases in New York City, there's close to 1.4 million. And so, you can imagine that uh, the the emerging adults, the the college athletes, the college students, and and many of them may have developed COVID-19 with minimal or no symptoms. That the immunity could be even over 50%. Who knows? Closer to 60, 70%. I mean, we really don't know. It's all conjecture right now. But but that could even shape how you return to a college campus if you know that a substantial number of individuals have immunity. If if we really believe that that immunity exists, so it would it would shape workouts. It would shape a lot. And 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 so I think it's a very exciting part of the future. Um, and hopefully, just a few weeks away until we can roll that out uh, at a more widespread basis. So, Dr. Dalton, you're at Johns Hopkins, obviously the epicenter in, in the sense of you know, a tremendous think tank in this medical world. Um, how much optimism is there that we can get to a point where college students can feel somewhat safe or hopefully safe on the college campus in the fall, into the winter, and then ultimately, if they are, then student-athletes can feel that same way? Well, Johns Hopkins is a... a a place that has lots of diverse opinions. So not everybody in our field is completely in agreement about this. I tend to be more on the optimistic side that we can get there with testing, that we can control this virus to a point where hospitals are not worried about their capacity concerns. And we will be able to have school uh, close to normal in the in the fall. I think it's going to be different in terms of mass gatherings and there's gonna be social distancing, but I do feel pretty confident that there are ways to modify uh, universities in a way that makes it safe for students to come back and that we'll get there with the technology uh, that's that's rapidly developing in terms of testing. And we'll be able to have sports, maybe in a modified fashion, but I do, I do feel optimistic about it. But I'm, again, I don't represent the entire university and there are different voices there as well, but I tend to be on the optimist side. So to Isaiah, uh, and then if you could also respond to this, um, and I don't want you to, to I don't want to hamper on, on, on the word you said modify, but once you get practice in the games, you have to go all out. And you can't adjust how you are competing and worried if you're going to come into contact with a person. With a person. So for, first to you, Isaiah, how much do you think student athletes, once they cross that line, they're in the field, they're in the gym, uh, that they're just going to basically behave as if it is normal because anything less than that 
you run the risk of actually getting hurt uh, playing the sport if you're not going full speed. Absolutely. Um, you know, I think, you know, once you get between the lines, you know, you're going all out and you forget about everything else. You block everything else out. Um, and I think that, you know, having to worry about, um, you know, modifying your style of play to, to fit, um, you know, certain, you know, guidelines or whatever, I think that that's not necessarily feasible, um, you know, for, for student athletes once you, once you start playing, right? Um, yeah, that, that's, that's how I feel. So, Dr. Hainline, if you could tag on to that as well. No, I mean, you, 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 you speak to the, the 500,000 student athletes. So I, I travel around the country speaking to them. Isaiah is one, one of our, our really stellar representatives because he's on the Student Athlete Advisory Committee and, and also, you know, a liaison to the advisory panel where Dr. Adalja is. And so, you know, you hear the representative voices of the athletes and it's all the same. They want to do what's what's correct, what's socially responsible. But when you're there in the field of play, I mean, you're there to compete and you're not thinking about other issues. You're assuming that you've been placed in an environment that allows you to compete. And, and that's what that's what student athletes love to do. That's what all competitive athletes love to do. So I, I agree with Isaiah completely. Dr. Dalja, uh, I love optimism. Um, what are some benchmarks that you think must happen between the beginning of May and let's say at least July 1st for us to feel like this can happen beginning in September to where student athletes students are on campus and student athletes are as well back practicing and competing. What I think has to happen really is, is going back to testing and case contact investigation. We have to have that in place in most in most areas of the country to be able to have widespread sports at a national level. And you have to remember that there are different this outbreak is heterogeneous across the country. There are states that are in better positions than other states. And it's going to be, you, you want that to be uniform if you're going to have a whole league kind of playing against each other. So what I would like to see is that testing be easily accessible in all corners of the United States so that people can test when they need to test. And we have health departments that are robustly resourced so that they can do case contact tracing uh, at at least a very high level so that these cases don't explode into another uh, hotspot like what happened in New York City. That's what we need to get to. And I think many states are going to be able to do that as we give them time and as we start to see opening uh, of different parts of the economy. That's really what we want, want to see is that we want people to be able, it's not, it's not a question of whether cases are going to occur. That's an important point. Cases are going to occur because this virus didn't go anywhere. It's We will be able to manage these cases much better than we did in March and in April. We will be able to take care of them in a way that doesn't allow them to bubble over into hospitals going into crisis. And that's what we want to be as, as a nation is all our hospitals feel comfortable dealing with the number of cases that are going to occur until we get a vaccine. And, and Dr. Hainline, uh, you're the point person. You're hearing from all different schools, different states, different regions of the country, all levels, Division One, Two, and Three. How are you managing right now where some states are going to come up online sooner than others and may be more comfortable, ready to get back on that field of play before other parts of the country? Well, it, it, it gets to the heart of, of competitive equity, right? And, and, and so if, if, if this group of student athletes from this part of Georgia, for example, and they've had three or four more weeks of organized training from another group. So, so that, that's a decision that the membership as a whole has to come to grapple with. So, um, but, you know, you have other competitive uh, inequities, if you will. You have uh, states in the north that, uh, for Isaiah sport, baseball, and 
Um, you know, they can't train as well as states in the south when it, when it comes to the spring season. You have states that are in the west coast and, and there's a wildfire and they're shut down from training for a couple of weeks because the air quality is so poor. So there's always those issues. And, and I think we're going to have to be creative here. So there's two sorts of issues. One is no matter what, there's going to be a minimum amount of time that everyone's going to have to have been in preseason and in practice before we can start any sorts of competition. And, and so that, that's from the health and safety point of view. But from a competitive equity, equity point of view, I think it is going to be regional. And, and, and that's just the nature of how this is right now. All right, Isaiah, I want to give you the last word. As an athlete, uh, Dr. Dalja and Dr. Hainline giving me some optimism, very optimistic here. Hope all that happens. What is your level of optimism at this juncture? Oh, you know, I'm, I'm very optimistic. You know, I obviously, you know, Dr. Hainline, Dr. Dalja are the experts. And, you know, I think we as student athletes trust them fully to, to ensure that, you know, we're going to be healthy, the nation's going to be healthy, and we're going to be able to return to sport uh, as soon as we can. Isaiah Swan. Uh, from Texas Dallas, Division Three baseball player, Dr. Brian Hainline, the NCAA's chief medical officer, and Dr. Amish Adalja from Johns Hopkins. Appreciate it. As always, these have been incredibly educational and informative. And as always, you can go to ncaa.org slash COVID-19 for all our series that we've been doing on this important, incredibly important topic that's gripping the entire globe. Thanks for watching, everyone.